Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Frog Snacks Podcast. It is episode 122, which is crazy. I feel like not that long ago we were like, it's our 100th episode. What a milestone. And now we're just just crushing them, just knocking them out of the park. Chugging along here. Yeah, for real. So uh, it's episode 122. We just wrapped up our four-episode fighting game suite. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, There's uh, still constant uh, tournaments being had. There was uh, Defend the North not too long ago and... All that other stuff. So that's always a thing that's going on. But we wrapped up the suite for now. And uh, now it's on to uh, kind of pick it up where we left off. Um, you know, kind of nitpicking specific topics that are, you know, going on in the news. And, and rather than just regurgitating them to you, just sort of saying this is what's going on. These are uh, some points that might not be brought up on on your, your typical uh, games journalism website. So the first thing I wanted to bring up, and, and we're going to be covering, we're going to be trying to cover a couple of different topics today. But the first one that I wanted to bring up was a game that was actually mentioned, I think, during E3 for the first time, and it was, I think, during Microsoft's presentation on E3. They did like a, um, uh, it was, it was kind of like a uh, like a montage of of like smaller games that were coming out in in the near future. For Xbox right. and for PC and and for other systems and uh, this was one of them. It, the, the game is called Tacoma, and uh, the dev team is more or less well known. They they worked on, um, they they worked on a game called Gone Home from back in uh, 2013. The the, the developer is called the Fulbright Company. They they also uh, they did an expansion for Bioshock Two. You know they they've kind of been around a little bit. Um, so this isn't their first effort. Um, but the thing that's interesting about this game is that we were given very little information about it um, during this montage that they had put together, right? So we don't get some more final details until uh, the game was released today, by the way. But mm-hmm. we didn't get a lot of more concrete details as to what the game was supposed to be doing or, or what it was really about or, or looking like until maybe about a week ago when the official review started coming out. And... The thing that kind of uh, struck me as, as interesting uh, was that it was a, um, a, a sort of like a, an exploration game, but mostly kind of like a, a visual novel, essentially. Yep. And, you know, s- same thing with uh, Fulbright's first uh, first game, which was, uh, which was Gone Home. And I guess I wanted to bring up this genre in general, right? The, the visual novel genre. Now, yep. there are a lot of games that fit into this model. This is not a, a new thing, um, but it's certainly gotten some traction in the last couple of years, and there have been a couple of really high-profile games uh, like Firewatch and um, Life is Strange that, right. that have been really, really critically acclaimed uh, and, and really well-received. So... I, I kind of wanted to try and pick your brain a little bit uh, as to what exactly you think is the one, the driving force behind this, and two, it's um, like the reason behind its popularity too. Is uh, you know, especially for some games that seem to be on you know uh, on the surface could very easily just exist as either a movie or a novel. Uh, right. w- without the actual gameplay uh, built into it, but uh, but w- what do you think? W- what do you think is is uh, you know behind all of this? 
two things leap to my mind immediately. Uh-huh. So the first is that this is the ongoing diversification of the game industry, right? Sure. Like I was just literally saying to you before we started recording how magical the time we are in the time we're in is right now Mm -hmm. because there is room in the market for everything, literally everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have never seen the, the, a number of genres and micro genres and genres within genres uh, that we have seen in the last couple of years. It's a complete, complete explosion of creativity that is, you know, coursing through the entire gaming marketplace. Uh, which point one a is being led, I think, by Steam. Uh, contrary to the old narrative of PC gaming being dead, right? We've obviously, I, I think, it's beyond question to any observer who was worth their salt that that narrative has been shuttered pretty resolutely as of I would say twenty twelve. Uh, because now, because of the indie revolution, the conversation about, sure, AAA games obviously are going to have the most number of people talking about them at any given point, Mm -hmm. uh, but the conversation about the new thing that is really cool is always coming from some indie dev. And said indie dev usually gets their start by putting their thing out on Steam. Mm-hmm. Uh, case in point, the Fulbright Company, right? Yeah. So Steam has really opened the doors in these last few years for all sorts of nutty stuff to come out. But then we come to point two. Because as you said, visual novels are not new. They've mm-hmm. been around forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah. Uh but I think what's different now is the technology. So if you think about a company like Telltale, right? Uh, Telltale was, you know, chugging along along with uh, the likes of LucasArts, the other very well-regarded maker of point-and-click adventure games. They were chugging along back in the 90s, but then I think, they were, to be honest, they were, you know, maybe not near death, but massively on a downswing throughout the, uh, the the early 2000s. Uh, but on the back of good technology and as part of this whole Steam revolution, they were able to put out some stuff and some clever licensing, I might add. They were able to put out some games that were very much their style, but were able to visually capture and immediately resonate with uh, a new audience. So think things like Tales from the Borderlands, which I've played a little bit of and is super awesome. Yeah. Uh, because it is very much a Borderlands game in style, in visual style and, and narrative style, etc. Mm-hmm. But it is an entirely narrative-driven thing as opposed to, um, you know, a, a, I guess you could call it a nuts and bolts gameplay thing. You know, these games as you said, exist entirely in story, but they are play. They're like, particularly Telltale style is like a playable episode of a TV show, mm-hmm. or really a playable mini series, like a playable season of a TV show is what you get. Because uh, they can get they can get relatively long. Uh, so I think that's that's the main thing I would say is powering 
the, the current like popularity of it. Oh, and point three would be I'd imagine that these are cheaper to produce than full blown. You know, if you want to make a full blown RPG, now you're gonna have some serious dollars have to go into that, right? But yeah, I didn't I didn't think of that, but you're you're probably right. Yeah, because I mean, we have all these smaller companies that do these visual novels where they can get their name out relying on again like these these core fundamentals awesome characters awesome story awesome setting and then they can capture an audience right mm-hmm. uh, but they don't have to go into the upper millions of dollars just to get a game out the door fair okay so that's a uh, more robust answer than I could have uh you know, asked for, for the first point of, of my, of my question. But the second one is going to be a little bit more difficult to describe. And, you know, you've played some Tales of the Borderlands. I've played Firewatch, but again, this is a genre that goes all the way back to, you know, um, like, like, like the Apple two days, right? There, there've always been these, especially in Japan that, you know, there were, there were, uh, visual novel adaptations of, of manga series and stuff like that. So this has been going on a long time. As a matter of fact, there were a couple of engines that were actually written for it in the nineties. Uh, both of them were, were Japanese. Um, one was for windows uh, that came out in 1999 called Enscriptor. And then there was one called Kiri Kiri, which came out in 1998. Um, which was uh, also for Windows, but um, so these these kind of dominated uh, for for a while. Um, but again, this is mostly for Japanese uh, visual novel adaptations of manga and anime. Um, but you're right. Once Steam became prominent, and once a lot of these, you know, the, the indie revolution, you know, kind of figured out that this was something that they could do a good job of, and, and more or less for cheap. If they had the the artistic and writing chops, they could they could do this thing without all of the you know other costs that come into you know developing a a, a more I don't want to say a more full game, but you know what I mean a, a more right. uh, technically technically and mechanically hashed out uh, video game with uh, challenges and stuff like that. So uh, there's there's the second part of my question and the one that I'm having a really hard time is. What is the 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 appeal of these games other than the story is very good? Because like I said, you know, I played Firewatch and the story was very touching and beautiful and it was well received and everything like that. But I didn't see why the game needed to be a video game uh, where I very easily could have read the Firewatch novel and been you know, perfectly happy with that. Uh, let me really quick give you a, a description of the game Gone Home, which, by the way, got a 10 out of 10 from Polygon back in 2013. Well, it's a quick bone of shade. Yeah. Polygon's reviews are like the worst part of their website because their reviews are super hipstery. I'm oh, say it. for sure. Uh, game Giant Bomb gave it a five out of five. Gamespot nine nine point five out of ten. PC Gamer gave it gave it an eighty five. That is the lowest uh, grade that it received. Um, Polygon is definitely hipstery when it comes to reviews, but this was like critically acclaimed across the board. Now that we said that, perfect. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, the description of the gameplay. the The player takes the role of Katie in the first person view, who can view objects in the game using the mouse and move the keyboard. Uh, using the mouse and move using the keyboard. There are no set goals in the game. 
repeat emphasis mine there are no set goals in the game however the game encourages and rewards the player when they explore new areas of the house and search for new messages much of the interactivity rests upon looking at objects and notes within the house in order to progress the game the player must find certain objects that unlock access to other parts of the house so in essence you are under your understanding of the story comes from you walking around uh, a house and looking at notes and and you know listening to messages and stuff like that and and uh, you know you uncover this very beautiful and this very touching and this very important story and it's very much a timepiece. I think it takes place in 1995, so um, they they do a really good job of you know constructing the house as 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 a house might have looked in 1995. Who knows right. what a house really looked in 1995? You know, <laughs> yeah, like so much uh, research was gone into this. I'm sure all the developers were like 10 years old in 1995. <laughs> but it's um, so so this is it, right? And, and I'm I'm thinking right that ultimately the the appeal has to come from the fact that you are actually controlling. The, the the motion of the character, even though the story is already written out and just waiting for you to explore and discover. Whereas in a novel, it's um, you just have to plow forward in the novel to get somewhere. And, and it's already written there. And, and skipping to a different part or, or doing it non-linearly will, will uh, take away from... Uh, you know, the, the intent of the author and, and you're probably going to miss something, right? Right. Do you think that that makes sense or, or do you have another take on this? That's part of it, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start with this, that a game like this, like Gone, Gone Home or even Firewatch, I would actually say are a little bit of a step above visual novels because like the hardcore visual novels are straight up Think Phoenix Wright. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix Wright is also a visual novel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those games, there is no moving of anything. You are simply reading and making decisions as the time comes, you know, to solve solve puzzles or whatever. Uh, But I would say that for sure, the interactivity is a big part of it. I think when it comes down to it, um, a lot of people... Remember, this This is a culture now where people do not like books. So anything that is gets away from the, uh, the tried-and-true book style, uh, I think, is going to resonate with more people, at least of the younger generation or whatever. Mm-hmm. So a visual novel is one way to do that. I would also be careful that we shouldn't overstate their popularity. I think they are popular, but they are popular among a certain segment of gaming, uh, and they're and these games are given a much louder mouthpiece than they perhaps would have gotten otherwise, because they are also, as you said, critical darlings. So all the professional games journalists are going to have them on their lips, but uh, only a fairly small segment of the entire gaming population will have even heard of these kinds of games. Like, even if you went to something like a PAX, right? Mm-hmm. Only a percentage of the people at that show, and by percentage, I mean, like, 12, at best, will have played or, you know, know about these kinds of games. Uh, but, yeah, for, among the people who 
they appeal to, I would imagine that it, it's a cut above a book, let's say, because a game like Gone Home from that description I haven't played yet uh, gives you the opportunity for nonlinear storytelling, right? Yeah. So everything moves at your pace. You decide in which direction of the story you want to go in, and you kind of just do your own thing. So gaming is about at this stage, right? Do your own thing. You know, experience the story your way, you know? Even if everything's predetermined, you're given agency. You have the freedom to make it happen on your schedule as you're determined. Actually, forget gaming. That's this whole generation, right? Mm-hmm. This, is the net, this is the Netflix generation, you know? This is the generation for whom uh, the idea that you would come home at a certain time to watch a TV show is like, what, what's wrong with you? Not even why would you do that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so yeah. I, th- I think that's kind of the, like, if I had to say what underlies the, the, uh, the growing popularity of these games, I would say that's it. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll add to that with one more point before we move on to the next, uh, the next topic is uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Hooked. But no. there are a couple of it's an it's a phone app and there are a couple like this, uh, but it's essentially um, an app on your phone where you get uh, like a chapter of a book at a time. But the way that the story is hashed out is very much like a visual novel, where uh, the the entire book is uh, a text message exchange. So. Uh, let's see if I can get a description here. Um, uh, these tales are told in a newfangled style as a series of SMS messages. This is from a, a Wired article about it from last summer. All of uh, the stories appear on Hooked, an iPhone app that lets anyone compose and read stories made entirely of text traded back and forth by the characters. It's like how we talk in everyday life, Howard says, but with a new edge to it. Um and it's a glimpse into how technology, once again, is giving birth to new literary forms. Of course, this is completely ignoring the 25-plus uh, years of uh, you know, visual novels existing in the video game space, but this is uh, kind of endemic to what you're talking about, where you know, uh, traditional books, uh, you know, the stories that you would normally find in traditional books can be found in much more uh, digestible ways especially in in the the younger crowd right yeah that's a i didn't hear about that but that's a super interesting concept Mm, and there are a whole bunch of uh i i know amazon's doing a publishing thing where you can get a contract with amazon and write a couple of these but they all have to be in like a text message conversation style and essentially you get the you know, they publish it for you into some app, uh, whatever the app is, you subscribe to the app, maybe it's like 99 cents a month or something, and you get uh, you get these stories. And the way that it works is, you know, you, you enter the app and like a text bubble will come up and you, you know, tap on the screen with your thumb and then the next text bubble comes up and that's how you ingest the story. So it's essentially like a visual novel but instead of a controller, you're actually like reading the the text dialogue that you would see in something like a visual novel, which is crazy because it's also a little voyeuristic. Yes, absolutely, and I think that there's definitely this whole like you know uh, YA tint to a lot of these things, right? Where they're they're kind of going towards that preteen crowd that like is into the uh, 
you know, the, the fantastical slice of life gossipy type stuff. Right. So, uh, you know, that's really cool. It's definitely a thing. Um, and I think that that, I think that the popularity of these app type novels are, uh, you know, just, just another, uh, piece of evidence in favor of the popularity of, of video game, uh, video games such as Gone Home, right? Yeah, there's room for them. Uh, I think they're going to get bigger and bigger as time goes on, uh, mm-hmm. because again, the technology to make them is only going to get better, and they're not necessarily going to become much more expensive to produce. Mm-hmm. So, again, relative to a lot of other more uh, fleshed out, shall we say, uh, games. So. Yeah, I would definitely keep my eyes on this genre in the future. I might also add, you are playing two visual novels right now. <laughs> okay. You, you are playing Pyre, which is at least partly a visual novel, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, but you're also playing Persona. I am. Per- part of Persona's claim to fame is mm. that it is a visual novel. True story. True story. Maybe I'm closer than I think. So- I think you are. All right. So, uh, one of the other things that we wanted to bring up, right, is uh, something that we've, uh, I think, a, a topic that we kind of both uh, uh, un- unknowingly were thinking about simultaneously, but, and we might be a little bit late for something like this, but we want to we wanna briefly discuss it because there have been a lot of news regarding it, and I'm talking about Overwatch. Overwatch is now in its second year of life. Uh, it's uh, one year anniversary was sometime in May, I believe, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, updates uh, for Overwatch as a as a as a thing uh, in the last couple of months. So I think now might be a good time to run through all of them and, and give some uh, takes. Right. So the uh, state of Overwatch currently is that Complex. it is 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 looks a lot different than it did at you know last August. We'll say. When it was yep. when it was just a this this fun new team shooter, right? Uh, we are now looking at a something that's looking more like it's going to have a you know some some longevity, some you know a, a much larger esports, a much a much more a much larger and more fleshed out esports uh, system that is being built. Uh, so we've got some new characters. Obviously, uh, Doomfist just dropped a couple last week, I think. Yep. Um, so, which we shouldn't gloss over too much because Doomfist was uh, on people's minds since, literally since the very first trailer announcing the game. Yeah, he's been part of the uh, the expanded universe since the since the game was you know first out. So. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and when he was finally realized as a thing, outside of the fact that Terry Crews was not the uh, voice, and and seeing what his actual character is, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but outside of that, Doomfist is, I think, one thousand uh, percent satisfies, you know, the fantastical longing that people had, because he's a really cool character. Yeah. He really is, uh, and he's very different. You know, the, one of the one of the things that um, 
Blizzard has been has been talking about and and you know the development team has been talking about is that they're you know they want to expand the roster but they want to make sure that there's not too much over overlap where they say okay well why would I play this character when I can play that character they're they're very similar they're too similar right right um, Doomfist is so dissimilar to any. <laughs> Other yeah. character that it currently is, and it's amazing, right? Because what what, are, what is the what are they what are we at right now? Like twenty three characters, more maybe. I think more than that. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's amazing that they're still coming up with these ideas, and and they've essentially come up with this uh, high maneuverability, almost like a melee character, and uh, there's nothing like that really. So that's uh, he's a fighting game character. Very, they put a fighting game character in Overwatch. They certainly did. So. Uh, but that's all uh, fine and well. But what we're really, what, what I'm really paying attention to, what I'm really looking at, is the, uh, the this huge push towards what the what the 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 Overwatch League of the future is going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing that I have always talked about when I talk about esports is that. Um, as it exists now, I would say in the, in the post league world, right? Yep. In the post league of legends world, esports looks a lot like, um, it, it, it's a lot more barnstorming than, you know, than, than I, I, I think is, uh, feasible in the long term, right? You, 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 you saw these types of, uh, you saw these types of systems in the days before professional versions of the sports that we all know and love today, right? You saw this in the 1880s with, um, you know, with with uh, baseball, and and you saw it, uh, you know, two decades later with football, and and you know, you saw it with, uh, you know, before integration in baseball with the Negro Leagues, right, where you would get talented individuals certainly talented individuals and you would almost like go on tour and, and you would just kind of go to where the event was and challenge local teams or, or have another team meet you there. But there was no kind of, uh, you know, obvious, uh, continuity. A lot of, a lot of these, these, uh, teams didn't, uh, weren't rooted to a geographic location. You know, they, they were barnstormers. So, this is kind of this, uh, you know, for Dota and for League, there is um, these continental divides. They'll they'll pull people into North America or the EU or or uh, you know China or, or Korea or whatever, and that's fine uh, when you're when you're talking about you know a, a global game, which it most certainly is. But there is something that is lost when you are simply just a fan of the, you know, the, the game and you're watching uh, a a stream and it's, there's this constant rotation of, of players. There are a few, you know, there are a few players that you might recognize, but they're on a different team, you know, every year. And, um, the Overwatch is trying to go for a more, uh, universally understood model especially in right. North America, where there are rooted franchises that are going to field teams and there's going to be a set schedule and, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a season structure and a, and a playoff structure rather than there just being 
um, you know, like a bi-monthly major events where you would just send your people to and then do it as, 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 as if there were this like never ending Olympics that like Dota and League of Legends has. And this is really, really interesting. And there are a lot of pros and there are, I would say just as many cons. Right. Um, but right now we're looking at uh, a, a, a worldwide franchise system and the current slate of teams. And I believe that there are going to be more announced um, are rooted franchises in Boston, New York, Los Angeles, Miami, Orlando, San Francisco, Shanghai, and Seoul, South Korea. Um, this is uh, really cool, but what you're looking at is something that is so different because of the nature of the franchised structure. There is a huge buy-in fee, right, which is one of the cons. You're not going to see someone like CounterLogic Gaming forking over $50 million or whatever the, you know, uh, reported, uh, although not crazy confirmed, figures. crazy figures for, for uh, you know, securing a franchise. You know, someone like CounterLogic Gaming or, or Noble Esports or, or Evil Geniuses, you know, a, a lot of these a lot of these squads that have been around for a while and, you know, field Street Fighter players and field League teams and field CSGO teams – uh, a lot of these mainstays are, you know, really uh, amateurish in comparison when you're looking at some of these these millionaires and billionaires and and squads of people who are putting up who are able to put up these these types of franchise money. You're you're looking at, you know, uh, the owner of the New England Patriots and and the owner of the Mets, and you're looking at, you know, uh, founders of huge corporations and and stuff like that. So. It's going to look a little bit more corporate. Um, some, you know, the, I don't know how well that's going to go over, you know, uh, for its core demographic, which is, you know, uh, gamers, right? Right. Um, but there, it, it becomes a little bit of a no-brainer when you're talking about, okay, well, who do I root for? I'm not just going to tune in to watch, like, some high-level Overwatch. I'm actually going to have a rooting interest. That's, that's kind of the whole, uh, this, like not quite understood psychology behind sports fandom in general is there's going to be a New York team. There's going to be a right. New York pro overwatch team. I don't need, yeah, to, I don't need to look at I, any of the other ones. Yeah. And you know, you know me in sports, but even I am like, huh, I may have to pay attention a little bit cause there's going to be a New York team. Exactly. We could, you know, in a year or two, we might be able to go to a local arena and watch the pro over New York Overwatch team play San Francisco in Overwatch at in an Overwatch. arena. At an arena, it undoubtedly will be an MSG within a year's time. There's absolutely no doubt about it, which is nutty to think about. It is, but as we've seen, MSG can very you know is is not too big for any of these events, no, especially for a game like Overwatch. Right. So it's murky waters for sure because we're not talking about trying to bring uh we're not trying we're not we're not talking about like trying to promote um an an, an extant sport in the United States in a um in a recognizable structure we're talking about restructuring something that is already popular into something that is presumably more palatable but in practice it might not work out that way 
Um, we're talking about, you know, uh, really servicing, you know, while, yeah, large population areas, you know, what about your, there are no Midwestern teams. Uh, that there, was the first thing I noticed. There, there are no European teams. Second thing I noticed. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the, no Canadian teams, no, I mean, we're, we're only looking at eight or nine teams, you know, this, there are going to be locals, Right. There's, so pause that for a second. Yeah. Because you just by saying all that, you just made me realize. As opposed to let's say NBA, NFL, whatever, which are all ninety percent anyway, mm-hmm. uh, American internal operations. This could be very interesting because this Overwatch League could theoretically, I mean, already is spanning because Seoul, South Korea is one of the teams. This could expand the entire globe as like part of the same thing. Which means we could theoretically have, you know, the New York team versus the Paris team, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is which would really I don't think there's anything like that right now outside of the Olympics. In um, I would say in uh, European, uh, I, I would say in uh, continental soccer federations, it's there. There are similar things, but they're all like. But still, that's continental. It's continental, sure. I mean, they have the World Cup. Which is like that, but that this would be like if the World Cup were, uh, it would be like, I, and I honestly don't even know if this exists either. But it would be like it would be like a a a, a World Club Cup essentially, which right. I don't think exists outside of the continental level. Yeah, I haven't heard about it because even the World Cup is country teams versus country. Yeah, it's national squads. Right, but yeah, sorry. Sides, whatever soccer terms. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, it's there's really not anything like it. Um, obviously, this is the fledgling stages, but you know when you're talking about the people who are involved, Robert Kraft and and you know uh, Andy Miller, the chairman and founder of NRG Esports, and you know these Chinese billionaires and you know stuff like that. You know, you're, this is they're clearly taking this very seriously. Um, this is not. You know, if you're if you're shelling out twenty or fifty million dollars, it doesn't matter how rich you are. That's a lot of money. This is not right. this is not a, an investment that these people are taking lightly. Right. So, um, I, I I want to see, and we will follow up on it, sure. But I want to see, uh, a, I want to see a season structure laid out in front of me. I want to see, um, a fully hashed out schedule. What is it going to look like? Where are these games going to be played? Um, uh, you know, are, are there going to be television deals? Are there going to be all of these other, like, you know, uh, legal and geographical and, and boundaries to all of these, you know, other leagues that exist? You know, this is this is really, really murky water that we're headed into. So um, this, I think, is the most fascinating thing that is happening in video games uh, in a viewership sense. Uh, at all right now currently I would I would totally agree I will also add another wrinkle that we're not even mentioning right now so you're totally correct to say we're in murky territory in terms of what is what is the Overwatch League going to look like Mm -hmm. what is year one of this thing going to look like and how it'll play out that's already murky territory uh, because nobody's attempted to basically graft the pro sports structure onto esports but what makes it even murkier is Overwatch itself. One of the points I have heard that um, 
kind of from the crowd that's kind of poo-poos the idea of esports is that regular sports like let's say basketball that rule set was laid down what the 1800s and aside from you know peripheral changes as befits uh professional leagues or whatever those rules are pretty ironclad like there was no balance update to to basketball right <laughs> i mean it would go by another name but i would say yeah i mean like the addition of the three point line uh the um the 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 widening of the key right uh, but these are like major, like once every other generation changes. Right. And even so they still don't change the very nature of the entire game. Right. Right. They do add elements or whatever, whatever, but you don't see things that could literally turn the entire game on its head as we do in video games every other month. Right. <laughs> Case yeah. in point, uh, the current bitching going on is about how Roadhog had been nerfed to the ground. Rest in peace. Rip, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, for real. like, people are, I just saw Kotaku before we started doing this, people are, are mourning his death. Yeah, he's, he's, right, He's he's been taken out of the equation, which would be like if, it would be like if they created a rule where uh, in football, like, uh, they said that they, you know, they, they, they changed where a middle linebacker could and could not stand and did it so extremely that te- defensive coordinators no longer saw the need for a middle linebacker and instead ran like exclusively, uh, like four, three or like dime packages for defense. Right. It would, it, it would like change the current face of what football defenses looked like. Well, that entire description was Yiddish to me, but <laughs> I'll go, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, yes. The point being that Overwatch is, the core of Overwatch is not static. It changes and changes frequently. How will that impact, uh, you know, the, the, the sports side of this going forward. I mean, yes, all the players and all the people watching will be well-versed in, and comfortable with the idea of a non-static product, but it will introduce complications that are going to be unique to this style of, you know, uh, of quote-unquote athletic competition. So that's going to be something... That, I think, more than anything, is going to be... Um, something to watch because then you also have to think about the fact that if this takes off in terms of viewership, then Blizzard will have a lot of pressure on it to maintain the game in a way that is favorable to the pros. But as we know from our discussion of fighting games, what's good in, in, in the case of balancing a video game, what's good for the goose is not necessarily what's good for the gander. Mm-hmm. What's good for the, the pro scene is not necessarily what's going to be beneficial to the other, you know, 30 million players uh, rocking out on the game on a casual to, you know, semi-competitive level every day. So this could get messy really, really fast, but I think it'll be fun. Oh, it, it, it definitely will be fun. It definitely will. There's so many questions that I have 
about how this is going to look, how much it's going to try and keep with, um, you know, how much, how much it's going to keep with this like pseudo amateurism of, of, uh, you know, current esports, or how much it's going to, you know, what, what are, what are trade rules going to look like? You know, how, how are, are they going to draft players like the draft? I have so many questions and we don't have all the details right now. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. I don't know when this thing is ever going to take off. We don't have any timeline really, but, um, there are people who have invested a lot of money into franchising. So that's a huge first step. And I imagine that just given that, that this thing is definitely going to happen. Um, but we will, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it once we have some more details for sure. And, and last sidebar on this, because this is a sidebar. Yeah. This is yet another thing that the FGC should have been first on, on regional-based esports, because the FGC is entirely regionally-based esports. <laughs> yep, as e- we spoke about in the FGC suite. Oh, yeah. Even as all these players are being picked up by, like you said, by the likes of CLG, Echo Fox, EG, whatever, whatever, uh, at the end of the day, Jay Wong will for- forever be known as the New York guy who went to California, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Knuckle Duel will be known as the, the Florida player. Uh, recently in Defend the North, you had Idom, who was known as the Stoop Kid. Because yeah. he can't travel. Yeah, and, and, he bodied, and he bodied the Philly champ and the world champ, Punk. Yeah, and even another, even like across games, you know, we have uh, you know Zero uh, repping Ch- uh, Chile, right? For Christ's right. sake, you got. I mean, this is this is you know not just you know East Coast West Coast, U.S. Japan. Like this is world. This is worldwide. I mean, you have people from all different. I mean, there's a huge you know UK scene. You had like Ryan Hart. You know, like there's, there's always, you know, they they put a flag next to the players' names, regardless of who is sponsoring them at every event. Right. Uh, And, but even more more strongly than that, there's already a city-based scene Mm -hmm. for, in particular, granted that's mainly U.S., but uh, there's already a city-based scene for all of these games. Yeah. So the fact that this has not already been grafted into some kind of more official structure is like another like damn missed the vote on that too but again we'll see how overwatch does it because if uh if blizzard is able to pull a rabbit out of the hat with this thing i think this could change the entire industry again yep so last thing we wanted to bring up for for this week is something that we uh should have brought up a while ago i guess but we were talking about other things and uh, that is uh, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, PUBG, uh, but more broadly, the uh, this this burgeoning battle royale genre, right? Yep. Um, Frog, you have played PUBG. I have not, uh, but give us a little background. What's what is PUBG? Where the heck did it come from? Who is PlayerUnknown? <laughs> I don't want to go too, too deep. I mean, there's a lot of things on the internet where you can get all of that information, and I don't remember all the, the fine details of the story myself. Mm-hmm. But the long and short of it is that this whole Battle Royale genre, and for those that haven't played it, player knows Battlegrounds and all these Battle Royale games essentially work like this. You all start in some little-ass area, whatever. Then you'll find yourself on a plane, 
uh, and that plane is going to fly over a massive, 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 massive island. Uh, you have the option to jump out and parachute down to the island whenever you want. Uh, so once you get down to the island, the game begins. You start with nothing. You have to get everything that you use to fight uh, and heal yourself and whatever. You forage and, and scrounge up as you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a hundred people in every match. Your job is to be the last man standing. Period. Uh, so how does this actually work in practice? So, yeah, you run around, you forage for uh, goods, guns, etc., etc. Uh, as time goes on, the game will tell you, hey, the play area is going to shrink. Literally, a giant circle will come onto the map uh, and after a certain period of time, if you are not within the circle, you will start to take uh, damage over time until you die. Uh, so it, it forces everybody into that circle. And that circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller, of course, then forcing people into uh, more and more interactions until a winner is decided. And that's essentially how it works. Uh, this can get very tense right off the bat if you go to a popular area you may find yourself dead in an instant just from fist fighting. Uh, or from the, the one person that found a gun really quickly and mowed everybody down. Uh, we try, when I play with my people, we try to go as far out as we can where nobody is, get as much great gear, and then start making our way toward the gameplay center where, uh, you know, where the real firefights will start to happen. You, by the way, you can play solo, at least in PUBG. I don't know about the other games, but in PUBG, you can play solo, duo, or up to a squad of four, I think it is. Um, but yeah, that, that's essentially it. It gets into more depth than that, which we'll talk about in a second. But uh, as far as where it came from, uh, this Battle Royale genre was originally a mod for Arma 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, Player Unknown, the game is called Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Player Unknown, Brendan Green is no the, longer unknown. Yeah, yeah, he is the, the yeah, he's the known player unknown, uh, who was one of the the foremost minds on this mod, uh, and I believe he went to work on H1Z1 King of the Hill, but that project is riddled with problems. As I was saying, this next before we started, uh, folks in the know about Twitch will notice that. That was a very popular game on Twitch last year, but once PUBG dropped, that game essentially went away because it had been people were playing it because the, they liked the battle royale genre, but that specific game was riddled with a lot of things that people didn't like. I'm not particularly well equipped to talk about what those were, but people didn't like it. PUBG dropped. It addressed a lot of the concerns, and so people pretty much migrated to that, and that game it literally exploded. I think it's already sold 5 million copies, and it's only available on PC. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, Steam Spy has it as, like, I mean, the numbers it's on Steam Spy are crazy. I'm, I'm looking it up right now, but, yeah, the, the game came out in, in March, and it was immediately, and, and we should also note that the game is technically still in early access. It, it, it's, it's early access as fuck. Yeah. So, it is janky as balls, but... It works. Yeah, which is uh, amazing. Um, let's see here. Uh, search. Player, Player unknown has unknown has gone on a record saying it will be out of early access this year. And he's like hardcore promising that. We'll see. 
Um, but yeah, right now it is in janky ass early access. They are planning more updates. They are planning like an additional map or two. Though I imagine mm-hmm. that would be quite a task because, like I said, it's a gigantic map. Yep, uh, they uh, are currently uh, third, third uh, on the record list for uh, highest peak player count uh, of of any game on Steam. So at at any given at at the at, at any given time, there were the third most people ever playing this game. The only other game that had. Uh, it, it, it with a 481,000 people playing it at once was was their peak, uh, and that was only two weeks ago. Uh, the only other games that have higher numbers on Steam uh, is CS:GO and Dota 2. Which should tell you something. Uh, yeah, that's a uh, that's good company. <laughs> that's that's very good company mm-hmm. for for a player known and 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 I think Blue Hole is the studio he's working with for their wallet for our wallets. Yeah. Uh, so they've just gotten a massive amount of money, which hopefully means the game will be um, shored up as quickly as possible, and they will continue to iterate on it. So, as for w- what makes this genre so appealing, six point two million owners, six point two million currently as of today, which is even wilder because the five million figure was not that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> so. What makes it so appealing? I actually think that you should give this a shot at some point mm-hmm. because I think – I don't know if you'd be like hooked, line, and sinker like some other people were. Like a couple of our other mutual friends are like deep into this game, like deep. Yep. But I think what makes it so interesting for people is A, there is a certain element of randomness that you don't get in you know the, the usual shooters – because let's say you're playing Halo, right? Mm-hmm. You know once you get onto uh, whatever map, you know, let's say Complex, our good friend uh, Uncle Paul would be laughing right now because he knows, because I, I know he hates that map. But let's say you get put on Complex. Mm-hmm. It's the same map every time. It's a small map. And there's a certain like way that gameplay will proceed every single time, right? Yeah. Uh, and... The Battle Royale genre, yes, it's one map, but it's a gigantic map. And the actual center of gameplay is randomized every time. So you can play... There are so many different ways to approach gameplay, uh, and you never know what's going to happen. Because you essentially get put in like a multiplayer version of Fallout, really. Uh, you get dropped into these zones... You don't know who's around every corner. When you open the door to go into a house to try and, and, and forge up some goods, somebody could just have decided, I'm going to post up in this house and kill everybody that comes there. Which is not a good strategy if you're trying to be the winner and the winner gets winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah, what is the deal with that? Is that like the message that you get when you win? Yes. So if you win, you get winner, winner, chicken dinner. So if you hear people talking about I want chicken dinner, that's what they mean. <laughs> it's already got it's already got its own little like you know uh it's got its it's got its own little like gamer dialect uh building at 1000%. 1000%. So if you're trying to get chicken dinner uh post up inside some house it's probably not getting you there but those people are not trying to win they're trying to be a dick. So 
which is entirely a thing you can do. Post up, wait for somebody to come by, blam, and you're like, ha, 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 you know what I mean? This, or you could go to be super aggressive and try and mow down as many people as possible. Uh, by the way, that's another thing about this game. This is not a KD game. This is a tactics game. Mm-hmm. And a luck game, too. You know, uh, you can kill 60 people or you can kill one. Actually, the very first time I played the game, I played with three other people. The very first time, I didn't kill anybody and we won the whole thing. <laughs> yep. So there are so many different ways. You can be a cheesy and just run from everybody, and be, as we did, <laughs> and hope to be the last person standing just by, oh, hey, here I am. Uh, or you can uh, play super aggressive and kill as many people as possible. Though I will say in this game, that's not even that's not really a great idea because, again, you never know who is around the next corner or, or across the field trying to snipe you. Which is another thing that happened to me. Uh, again, when I play this game, and this is where it might make a little more sense for you. When I played this game, I immediately thought to myself, damn, this is what I think they wanted to have Metal Gear Online be. This yeah. is what I think they wanted. Okay. Be- because you get dropped into this arena. Because stealth is paramount. Right. Stealth is paramount. You need to be able to move unseen. And and pretty much the entire Metal Gear moveset is in the game. You can crouch, there's crouch run, there is crawling and lying prone, etc., etc., etc. So all that shit is in the game. And you need to use all of it to be effective. Because again, once you get spotted, unless you are a very good player, good chance your your ass is grass. And I think and I think this is what Kojima and Co. wanted Metal Gear Online to ultimately be. It was not to follow, let's say, the Halo template mm-hmm. uh, of all right, run out, you know, balls out, Rambo style, let's go. But they want it to be a thing where you're going to sneak around for a while and try and take down people in as stealthily a manner as possible. Uh, and, and this game, I think, achieves that way beyond... I think anybody could even, to be fair, conceived 10 or whatever years ago. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So the, the other thing I wanted to talk about is that I, I, it's hard to not draw the comparison to MOBAs because MOBAs were also uh, just kind Florida of like a, a, home, a homegrown mod that, that you know, uh, we'll say it, it, it gained traction, right? Um, <laughs> to put it lightly. To put it lightly. And and I can very easily see this genre doing the same thing. I mean, because we're already seeing six million owners for a game that is janky as hell in in uh, early access and uh, developed by one dude. Well, so, not not this version. This He has a studio that I believe is based out of South Korea. Uh, okay. I don't know how big his studio is, but I can't imagine it's that big. Yeah, uh, is the point. Yeah, he, the point is that it's like the brainchild brain of one person, and there's not a lot of people working on it, and we don't even know when it's going to come out of early access. Uh, so uh, this could very easily be like I don't want to say the new MOBA because it's it's going to attract a completely different player base, but you know this this kind of um, th- this homegrown genre that I 
Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, that 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 could you know easily burgeon into some type of you know uh, coherent esports scene, right? Or or uh, or you know uh, tournament based uh, scene, right? I mean, you've you've already I think we're already seeing um, esports uh, squads signing uh, PUBG teams, right? Really, I haven't heard that one. I think I heard that, but e- e- my, in, in either case, do you? Agree or disagree? I I really don't know where the esports potential for this is. I mean, because mm-hmm. remember, it's a hundred people. So unless you do a pared down version, but then like to get this to a format where esports would be a palatable idea, I feel like you'd have to have a wildly different version of the game being played because. A batch. One of the reasons I actually don't play that much PUBG is because it can take forever. Like a single round of PUBG, unless you get bodied right away, can take like an hour. Uh, okay. Because because you get like I said, you get dropped wherever the hell you get dropped. Like and when I say the map is gigantic, I mean think an entire region of let's say something like a Skyrim, like one region of that is what you're looking at as the gameplay map. Right. Like, it's a massive map. So, just getting around, and a lot of it, frankly, there's a lot of dead time, too. Like, there's a lot of just, like, running around and trying to creep your way to the next location. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's crazy firefights that, you know, break it up, right? So, I don't know where the eSport... I can see where there's potential for competition in that it is a hotly competitive game once you get down to, you know the final 30 or so people but the getting there is like if you if you change that you have a different game but at the same time not changing it is wholly unpalatable for professional competition i would compare this game uh and this is what i was about to cut you off to say this is probably going to be this generation's call of duty uh, and by that, I mean Call of Duty never lit the world on fire as an eSport, uh, but it is the game that everybody and their mother played. Right. When this comes out on console, it comes out on Xbox this year and probably on PlayStation next year. Uh, that is what we want to watch out for. I think it's going to take over the world. Uh, because I think for a, a regular, the regular Joe Schmo out there, this will be, like, if you are somebody that was really into, let's say, The Walking Dead, I think this is right up their alley. Because it's that whole, again, this is a sort it's a survival game without the hardcore survival elements of, let's say, a Don't Starve or your beloved The Flame and the Flood, right? Right. Though that's totally a game type they could put in there. That, that's another thing. There is so much room for game types and iteration on this concept. Which is the thing that excites me the most about it. Like, you could have the spacey version of this game. You could have uh, the, the version of this game that has all sorts of hardcore survival elements that you have to take into account as well. There's all sorts of things that they could do to keep this concept fresh. Uh, and that's what I think will continue to attract a huge amount of people to this game. Like, this is going to be a great game that you can either play solo queue or... Just you know, bullshitting with your friends. You're right. There is uh, uh, clearly a lot of untapped potential in this 
in this genre that I, I didn't even think of yet, but uh, it's only the beginning. I, I think the the console release of this game is probably going to... It's going to be a massive event. Uh, be a massive event. I uh, will have to revisit it once once that happens and see what the, the numbers look like. <coughs> Bless. Excuse me. Uh, but that's... Uh, you're right. That's really going to open the floodgates, I think. I will also add... Actually, just yesterday I read... Shout out to US Gamer again, Mike Williams. He... He did an article, a very tongue-in-cheek article, but even he commented on it afterward like, oh, wait, damn, this is supposed to be, like, semi-trolling. <laughs> but I realized I would play after this. He basically did a, okay, well, we know PUBG has now popularized the Battle Royale genre, which means every other company is going to try and make one. So then I would encourage people to take a look. He actually goes into, all right, let's say there's the Mass Effect version of this game the Sonic, even, version of this game. Uh, and as I'm reading, I'm like, all of these are totally plausible, and frankly, I would probably play all of them. At least a little bit. That's awesome. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. The concept has a lot of breathing room. Uh, the PUBG team can do a tremendous amount within the confines of their game, but as a concept, there's a lot that could be done. There's a whole lot that could be done. I, I too would be very curious to see once the console release happens. That's when I think we're going to start seeing the imitators come out. Okay, all right, because and, and that's we, when it's going to hit double-digit millions. Right, and do we have a date for the uh, console release? I don't think so, but well, hold on, real quick, I'll do my. Uh, let's see if there's any info. No hardcore date, just 2017. All right. Okay. Well, so we will we will see once it drops. Xbox that'll be fine, but re- the real test is when it hits PlayStation. Yeah. I'll also add that this is happily part of a trend of these multiplayer games, these multiplayer only games being cheaper. Uh, PUBG retails for thirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got it when it was on sale. It was like twenty two dollars. I was like, sure, what the hell? Just to try it, of course I'll pay that. Yeah. So I, I, it's going to light up the sales charts undoubtedly, just because of that alone. People will be like, "Oh, this is a super popular game. It's thirty bucks. So what the hell? I'll give it a shot." Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, well, this is something we'll have to revisit. Overwatch thing will have to be re- revisit. Um, we're we're uh, we're back in the you know the the free flowing episode uh, type deal. Um, but uh, is there anything else you wanted to add before we sign off? Uh, no. I think we hit our nails on the head pretty well today. I uh, would agree. Uh, definitely uh, covered, <laughs> covered a lot of bases in our, in our, uh, our month, uh, quote-unquote, off. Um, but if you guys want to, uh, you know, get more of uh, Frog Snacks, why wouldn't you? Uh, we've got a website, and we just had some new written pieces go up on it, frogsnacks.net. You can also get all of our episodes there as well as on Apple Podcasts. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us there as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Podcast and on Instagram, at frogsnacks. Uh, wait, did I say that right? Twitter, at frogsnacks. Instagram, at frogsnackspodcast. Sorry, I've done that 8 million times, and I just had a brain fart. That's <laughs> fine. Um, but in the meantime, uh, check that out, and we will see you guys next week. Later, everybody. Peace.